Welcome to the weekly High with LSD podcast, the Leslie and Subu dialogue covering the most happening technology news that affect India. And now, please welcome your host, Leslie and Subu. Uh, a lot is happening on Dogecoin. Of course, I think in that entire uh, uh, talk, with, uh, it started, I think, with a tweet by Elon Musk and the stock prices also. So just as we were talking about the rapid rise of Bitcoin, okay, we uh, had a dog being introduced and everybody started Googling for Shiba Inu. I don't think many people knew about uh, this Japanese dog. Uh, what are your thoughts on Dogecoin and the whole Bitcoin uh, uh, controversy, especially in the light of India government thinking about banning cryptocurrencies? I Thank you for having me on, uh, Leslie, and great to reconnect, uh, Subhu and Niraj. Thank you so much. Uh, I think interesting development by any standard. Clearly, like you said, it kind of got flagged off when Elon Musk uh, you know, kind of tweeted about it, about picking up some Dogecoin for his son. But I think the other uh, the other drill trigger was the fact that uh, you know uh, Elon Musk, as as the head of Tesla, kind of announced that they're actually buying uh, 1.5 billion dollar worth of of Bitcoin, and more importantly, the fact that they're looking at Bitcoin as a valid uh, currency, so to speak, right. uh, when it comes to you know booking and owning a Tesla. Yeah. So I think that development really spurred the entire momentum, and I really think, in a sense, it's kind of re-altered perceptions. For a lot of it, it was kind of a little, you know, a little hobby driven and, you know, driven by spurts. I think two things this points to. At one level, it's really the power of celebrity. The fact that today you've got people like Elon Musk and there are a handful of people who can actually steer people's or the world's attention to a subject and kind of bring it center stage, right? Not to connect it, but, you know, pretty much like uh, over the last fortnight, some international celebrities uh, kind of tweeted about yeah, the farmer yeah. issue and suddenly brought it center stage. So in a sense, the power of celebrity is, I think, one thing in a sense it proved. The second, I think it's made people rethink uh, the entire cryptocurrency space and Bitcoins in particular in the context of a non-sovereign, safe haven of value. Right? Historically, it's always been, you know, obviously a sovereign currency, a dollar or, you know, or whatever one trades in. But I think it's suddenly opened up the option that you know, if, if there are enough people around the world, there are enough famous, famous people to start with, you know, believe in a non-sovereign uh, currency, uh, then, you know, the Bitcoin might just be doing the job. And therefore, the reality of it kind of came into the picture. So I really think it's, it's that, that part is really critical. And the fact that people with large followers or large fan bases, if a handful of them across the world actually come and, you know, anoint something as sacred, then, hey, that's going to be sacred. People are going to bow and say, okay, we're going to go forward with it. Yeah, so but government, governments powerful. don't seem to be buying the story. For now, yes. But I guess the fact remains is that when enough people, you know, start, I mean, let's say if, if, if Tesla accepts it, then maybe a handful of countries will say, okay, this works. I think it's a matter of time before governments will have to reconsider their positions. Right? So the right now, the sovereign is supreme. Yeah. Even the Indian government? Because they're thinking clearly about banning and they know all these stories. I mean, that, that's what I find interesting. I mean, I, I said, here's like... Uh, you find the Indian government sort of trying to stick to its, uh, you know, thing. talking time and again about blockchain. I, yeah, I understand the blockchain. We all understand clearly that blockchain is the underlying, uh, you know, technology. But at sure. the same time, I mean, what's wrong with Bitcoin? One starts really figuring out, telling them that, okay, fine, you can invest. Now you can get out in a phased manner. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts? I think so at a I... basic level, 
sorry, if I mean at a basic level, I'm a little uncomfortable because to my mind, let's say any other traded commodity or any other traded aspect, like a stock or a, or a bond or whatever, is dictated by expectations on what that company can deliver in terms of profits uh, in the future, right? So there is something that you're betting on, right? When I, I, I kind of buy a stock, I'm expecting that over time the stock will do well because the company that which, uh, which I'm buying a little ownership into uh, is capable of creating value in the future of which I can be part of. In that sense, this is largely speculative, right? Because it's really the belief. But then one could say, so is trading in gold or so is trading in any other commodity. It's what people value. But my point there is that most of the others have an intrinsic value to themselves, right? So in a sense, gold has you know, just ornamental value or you know, when I trade in coffee or any metal, uh, there is an intrinsic value. I'm going to use it. I'm going to repurpose it into something. So in that sense, it is speculative. And therefore, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a little very personal. Sorry, so why kind of... Uh, no, not at all. So, you know, this, this uh, essentially reminds me of, uh, you know, the musk lemon. You know, I think it's... <laughs> yeah, you know, because it is very scary to imagine that the one entire, you know, uh, medium of exchange is going to be predicated on one bloke. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's a very, very scary thought. Uh, so to my mind, every time Musk tweets, okay, that something happens, sure. okay, and many a time he tweets, you know, about his own company, uh -huh. and the damn share prices go down, okay, and then everybody blasts him somewhere, and then they, and they come up. Now, uh, so I think I think in the overall context of Bitcoin, I think we've discussed it in the past. See, there are two things that are important. One is like uh, Lloyd said. We are used to a sovereign, uh, you know, uh, un uh, underwriting of medium of exchanges. Okay. And we are also used to, if the sovereign undertaking is not there, underwriting is not there, then we are used to a certain intrinsic value. Bitcoin has neither. Okay. Which is what makes us uncomfortable. But having said that, I'm reasonably sure that in the next few months and not years, we are going to find sovereigns launching their own versions of crypto. Okay. It is inevitable because there's so much money out there. Okay. No sovereign is ever going to leave so much money on the table and walk away. Okay. At the end of the day, why is, why is it that, you know, whether it's a dollar, whether it's gold, whether it's oil, whether it's precious commodities, there is a certain sovereign interest in that. Because let's not forget that sovereign is also there to make money. With exactly the power that the sovereign are afraid of, I think so. That's what I'm saying. So therefore, if the sovereign finds that there is somebody who's making tons load of more money, they find themselves out of the game. They are not going to allow it. And remember, they have the power. Elon Musk, for all his tweets, has only power over Tesla. Okay, or maybe Signal now. Okay, nothing more. So, I think this. Sovereign involvement in crypto is going to happen sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. The second thing is, like all things nonsensical, in India, we start with the absurdity, saying that we're going to ban crypto. Okay. And then some Mandarin will somewhere realize that, okay, no, no, it's, it's not possible. You can't ban it. So let's embrace it. And then we will come with our own, uh, you know, uh, yeah, Bharat crypto. And we'll okay? tax it also. 
Yeah, we'll come with the Bharat crypto and then we'll uh, charge 18% on that. Okay. <laughs> so I think this is, this is the, this is the path that we followed over the years. Okay. We are not going to lose touch with a glorious history. Ban it. Okay. Embrace it. Create your own version and tax the hell out of it. <laughs> yeah. No, what interests me is that each and every time we create these extreme positions. Either it's like, okay, I want to get rid of it. I want to ban it. It is never, never such thing, okay, let's sit, sit across the table. Let us try to figure out what this technology is on. And each and every time glorifying blockchain as opposed to Bitcoin, as if these two things are not intrinsic. They're actually intrinsic. They're actually Yeah, I find that segregation very odd uh, kind of stuff from a technology point of view and even from it. Anyway, the... Uh, these things, I mean, uh, I, I don't think this controversy is going to die in any hurry. Let's move on but to the I second. Just, I just, I just, sorry. sorry, I just want to kind of play a little devil's advocate to one point that Subhu made, and you know, just partially. I think one aspect, while I totally agree with what you're saying, I think the fact that the size of the community, the number of people that believe in something, in a sense, has its own power, right? And, you know, while we're talking of one bloke in this context, that Elon Musk and his follower base, my sense is that if a handful of well-known celebrities, a Cristiano Ronaldo somewhere or whatever, people in various fields, if they all start believing in it, then suddenly the value tends to kind of get infused with reality. That's a, that's a part of the size of the community. Just hypothetically, if you know, if Ratan Tata were to say, okay, I believe in it and I'm going to bid a billion dollars on, on Bitcoin. Uh, for a lot of people, that kind of becomes now far more real. So I'm saying there is partially in this era of social media you know, sharing, the fact that if more people believe in something, then in a sense, its reality is larger. And I think that aspect is something that also is a new dynamic in place as opposed to just the sovereign guarantees in the past or the intrinsic value of companies or oil or any other traded commodity. Here so it's I, also I, a shared belief. So I, I agree I, with you, Lloyd. I, yeah, I think because that's I agree what you were saying. Yeah. yeah, the more the value goes up, the higher is the degree of sovereign greed. Yeah. Yes, okay. yes, yes. So if Ratan Tata tomorrow endorses Bitcoin and say, I'm going to put a billion dollars down, the next Monday, the government of India is going to announce its own, uh, you know, Bharat crypto. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So I, I think these are linked. The more people believe the greed will increase and the sovereign will come in. Correct. The only danger Correct. is that you'll have multiple. So you'll have then you'll have a US crypto, you have a Russian crypto, a <laughs> Turkish crypto, a North Korean crypto, and an Indian crypto. Yeah, but but you never and know the possibility the, of a crypto exchange. Therefore, I'm saying exactly, therefore that's yeah. where. Yeah, and the, and the government might create something like a UPI kind of stuff because we yeah. had mobile wallet. Uh, you had uh, so many mobile wallets. We used to get confused, okay, whether we should use this. Then the whole uh, question of interoperability came in. We yes. managed to succeed it. Okay, today it is seamless and yeah, fine. Things are working out. Let's 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 hope. Just uh, just one last list. thing. Uh, one last thing, uh, Leslie. The downside of this, and you know, I I don't want to be you know uh, arrested or anything, but the downside of this is. You are now going to move from conventional, you know, forms of offense mm -hmm. to bio offense and now to crypto terrorism. Crypto will then become a current because see, it is now under the table. It's under the radar, yeah. right? Yeah. It is. And, and that is, that is what is scary. Even if sovereign comes, there will be private exchanges that will keep working. And that could become a tool for this extrajudicial, extra uh, governmental forces to actually create a network. Need to. 
Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I think we'll have to look at all this. I think currently we'll just give the government the benefit of doubt that whatever it is trying to do, it is doing to protect the investor interests. Uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that for, sure. the, for now. Then uh, let's get on to the second uh, uh, part of this discussion. We are going to talk about um, uh, a safer internet day. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, we have a lot of uh, crime, cyber crime, and we have spoken about this in the previous uh, episodes. We have even spoken about cyber war to some extent. Um, but having said that, I think uh, here what is interesting is that the government is talking about creating its own uh, uh, internet uh, with the root servers and uh, I think the investment of 10 crore. Uh, a kind of a, I, I get the sense that this is a kind of a intranet kind of stuff that we are trying to create out here. I'm I'm not too sure. Uh, IPv6. Uh, we, yes, we require domain addresses, but I, I I'm so I'm a little, uh, uh, you know, I'm I'm reserving my opinions on this till I see the specs and uh, understand it a little more. So, Leslie, are you today? Are we going to discuss moving from one absurdity to another? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this give me a break. <laughs> really, I mean, okay, so you want to create your own internet. Fantastic thought. And are you going to create it in 10 crores? I, I are you kidding me? That. I mean, I mean, this is, this is, so, so there is something called, you know, stupid. There's something called absurd. There's something called fantastic. Mm-hmm. This is bordering on fantastic. I don't know who's thought of it. Honestly, I would like to meet the Mandarin who's thought of it. But the fact is that, you know, it is like saying that, you know, it's, it, I don't know whether when you were kids, we used to play with this bat and the ball, right? And the kid who had the bat, if he got out, he would walk home with the bat. Okay. And he would say, my bat, I'm not going to play. This is like that. I mean, are we creating something which already exists? Billions of people are out there. Instead of making that a safe place, instead of making sure that that is taken care of, my fundamental governmental duties of law enforcement, protection, you know, enforcement of rules. Okay. I mean, our IT act is fairly strong. Very, okay. Very strong. So instead of doing that, we are getting into the new, you know, bandwagon of saying that, okay, let's create our own internet. Yeah, let's you know? control it. Let, let's control it. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to move a billion people from where they are. To your, you know, Bharat Internet, Bharat Net services, or some something like that. I mean, it's 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 like like I said. I mean, it, it's just it's just absurd, really absurd. Yeah, this is more the China model. Like it doesn't seem to be an India model. Yeah, but China also has the same internet. It's just that they put controls on it. Sure, sure. That's all. So my thought on this, Leslie and Subu, is slightly varied. I mean, aside from you know whatever yeah, this sure. angle is, I think the larger issue that has to become center stage on safer internet. Uh, is not so much, you know, issues around hoaxes, frauds, scams, right? That's a reality. And that's really about tightening security and putting, you know, that's basically making it. I think the bigger issue that needs a little, uh, you know, kind of discussion is really kind of bringing civility back into, uh, into internet conversations. You know, the whole issue of hate speech, of discrimination, discrimination. I think these are issues that are being ignored. That is the third part. That That become critical. The discussion. So that we're going to get it in the third part of the discussion, which we're going to talk about. Yeah, but then this is the genesis, right? I mean, this is, I mean, when you say safe internet day, I mean, it is like, you know, women's safety week. It means nothing. All that it means is that the blokes who are whistling at the women will stop for a week, hopefully. Okay. They don't. But no long-term 
exactly it is these are gimmicks this is just gimmicks i think what they are really missing the point is that if you want to make internet safe then it is your responsibility okay to en- enforce the rules it is our responsibility to you know to be civil and not you know shoot off the mouth and make sure that if there is, so, so one of the things that i found is we keep talking about intolerance we keep talking about hate speech how many of us have actually called it out in our whatsapp groups absolutely right that is the key issue as long as the citizens don't take responsibility for themselves uh-huh. okay what are you going to create i mean bharat net bharat internet is probably going to have multilingual hate speech correct that is all that's going to happen yeah so i would say so it's like two phases the first phase and you know let's say we've lived through 20 years of it was really like the internet highway which is you know the safety and how to prevent accidents prevent <clears> frauds <throat> and hoaxes which is an ongoing process you know and regulatory will have to keep keeping an eye on it across the world not just in the context of india i think the second phase given the wide scale pervasiveness of this uh, you know say 500 million or 450 million people in india on whatsapp and the amount of hate speech the amount of uh, you know amount of random unfounded yeah. uh, stuff that gets forwarded is how does one kind of put in conventions in place or kind of make the whole driving experience more seamless in a matter again using the highway analogy how does make that one make that more safe for example if in our group someone is spreading obvious hate or someone is spreading falsehood how does one call him out or is there a way of building security and one of the thoughts i've always had and you know love to share it here is that maybe just like today every mobile phone user has to provide some security right so i provide an, an address authentication an aadhar card or whatever so technically it can be traced to me when i originate one there's nothing that prevents me from creating a fake twitter account and then spreading rumors saying hey there's a there's a riot happening in my building or there's a communal clash guys i need help you know everyone from my community come over i need help this can go uh, you know haywire so in a sense sooner than later i believe that every owner of a social media handle needs to be identified as an individual of course exactly. that comes with its big brother <clears throat> issues but i just believe that it's too dangerous a tool to go ungoverned and i can i can impersonate anyone i mean i can say i'm leslie today and i can you know you know call out you know, some kind of stuff and before the real leslie stands up and says that's not me uh, i could have spread enough of hate or enough of uh, misinformation so i think authentication to people's social media or responsibility of ownership is real you may still want to go by a pseudonym but at least every account needs to be traced back with the government's big brother attitude notwithstanding so i just thought and i wonder I, how you guys have to say to that no no i i think i agree with you partly the, the, the issue is also that see information technology is something which is you know ubiquitous at the same time it is traceable okay i think what we have to do like we have done in other crimes we have to make an example we have to we have to have rapid and stringent you know uh, repercussions uh-huh. that have to be faced by these guys make two or three examples and then at least some part of the population will stop see a lot of people today don't even know that forwarding a hate mail is a crime yeah right so you have the people who don't know then you have the people who know but don't care and then you have the people who know who care and who do it deliberately but subo probably also i think art i think from a philosophical point of view 
because much of this actually is a philosophical debate a much of yes. it is also a religious debate much of it is a social debate so the point is like you and me the way we look at a hate speech how do you define a hate speech what exactly constitutes a speech uh, what is hate speech for you for the fanatic it may not be hate speech it no, no, but the law is very clear see the law no. is very clear the law is very clear in terms of defining what is a hate huh. speech what is incendiary so i am saying strictly no, apply saying the exactly. law yeah so now so this brings us to the third topic exactly what because we have already segued into that so when we are talking about uh, this whole whole thing about uh, uh, twitter uh, uh, the twitter indian government's path even if you ap- uh, apply it to all the social media sites i think one is of course whether we have freedom of speech but of course with reasonable restrictions uh-huh. what are those reasonable restrictions i think we all uh, i mean the the supreme court uh, of india and the uh, absolutely has enunciated that, yeah. yeah absolutely the second thing the second part of it which we have to look at is the double speak social media sites going a different line in eu countries which is what time and again the indian government has got yes. to see if you follow a different law in a different country why is it that in, in my country you are not following this my laws because you have to understand that, that the laws of the land have to be followed because these guys like i think facebook doesn't even have a server in india if i'm not no they don't the third part is polish uh, politicians and uh, social media sites themselves are no paragon of virtue when it comes to hate speech so uh, this, this is the like the third aspect that i see so none of them have, all of them have broken rules at different different points in time and i find it very funny and odd that you know in uh, a mark zuckerberg or for that matter of fact even a jack dorsey talk about you know ethics and code of conduct and all that the, many of them have broken it over period of time it's all documented out there see i think so, let's leave the politician out let's see the politician out because uh-huh. they do it they do double speak across the board yeah. okay so let's leave the politician out i don't think it's an issue of politician i think it's an issue of what is the administration of this country doing to rein in these guys these companies who don't want to follow a consistent principle show your teeth that's all i'm saying show your teeth and tell them that look this is not working so okay period you cannot have endless arguments endless discussion look the law is very clear supreme court of india has very clearly defined what is legal what is free speech what are the qualifications what are reasonable restrictions mm-hmm. enough precedents are there okay and i don't think twitter or facebook or anybody else i mean they have enough lawyers who are extremely yeah, yeah. bright yeah absolutely right so i this is not rocket science okay for them to first say okay we are banning some handles suspending some handles the same evening you know reopening those handles exactly. and then after one week saying that okay 50% of those handles are going to get banned i mean this is not very arbitrary actually. and what basis is it Yeah, so I think at one level, and I agree with the proposition Leslie is that they have to form, you know, follow a uniform policy. But two is we have to also recognize that they are fundamentally commercial organizations, yes. and they do what works a for their commercial interests. And no matter how, whatever the personal integrity standards of a of a Jack or a Mark Zuckerberg, I think as commercials they will always, in a sense, want to align with the uh, you know, the, the the government of the day, in a manner of speaking, across the world. right and therefore it begets the need of whether there can be a kind of independent uh, you know ombudsman or independent arbitrator 
because self-regulation will always be fraught with compromise, right? At one level, you're expecting permissions for the government and you want, you're seeking favors in a manner of speaking. And at the other level, you're going to tell the government, sorry, I'm not going to ban handles, you want ban. Uh, uh, I was wondering whether, therefore, there is a case for an independent, uh, you know, you know, like a kind of a court within the in internet space to look at all is these, just the size of how large these, uh, these mediums are. No, it's no, so a very I, good idea, I, but is it practical? I'm asking. It is practical. And I'll, 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 no, no. I'll, I mean, look at our courts, the way they are burdened. Now, if you want to take up any case with any court at this point in time, it will be a 20 year case out here. So don't so be a case. I think, I think what Lloyd is suggesting is that let's, let's say if I'm Twitter and I'm operating in you know, so many countries of the world, and if I were Twitter, then I know that there are top four or five countries where I need to focus on because there are issues there. Sure. What prevents me from creating an independent ombudsman panel for that country, uh -huh. which comprises legal experts, which comprises sociologists, because that is very, very critical. Okay. And it comprises, it cuts across a strata of society, which then advises, see, if, if Mark Zuckerberg can do that in the United States for Facebook, right? why can't they do it for India? Why can't Twitter do it for India? Why can't Twitter do it for Europe? And that's, I mean, that is not a big, a big uh, problem to uh, solve. The issue is that the reason why I reckon they will not do it is this independent body may actually come and tell them things which are inimical to their commercial interests. Mm -hmm. And that's what even Lloyd also pointed out. Because these sure. guys are and business, period. Sure. They are in business. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, they are in business. And, and to that extent, you know, and whilst I'm, I'm one of those fairly vocal critics of the government in, you know, generally, but there are situations where I seem to believe that we are not doing enough from the government side. We should actually tell them that this or else, like we should have told, you know, Facebook, this or else. Okay. I think, the, I think there is some amount of weariness there, which is there among the administration. And like I said, the political leadership will always be, you know, uh, Will, will never be able to take a stand yeah. because it's political leadership. Yeah, yeah. All right. They have to, they have to, you know, balance between money and funds and uh, votes. Okay. Let's not go there. But what about the bureaucracy? The bureaucracy is very smart in this country. Yes. Some of the smartest guys are there in bureaucracy, right? I think if they are just empowered and told that, okay, now go for it, solve this problem. I'm not saying throw them out, but solve this problem. I think we'll, we'll get a solution. So I've got one thought, which in a sense links the second issue, Leslie, to this current issue. When you know, this, this is blue sky thinking. What if, let's say, the three largest, uh, you know, culprits, so to speak, say a Facebook, a Twitter, or a WhatsApp, for that matter, these three guys, if every account holder is now has to provide some proof of documentation. Now, there's one interesting data point. I'm told that in the mid 70s, the number of hoax calls that went to airports of a potential bombing were immensely more. And a lot of these were made from public call offices, PCOs, because it's not traceable. Correct. Right now, every mobile phone or every call is <clears throat> traceable. And apparently last year, the total number of hoax calls received was seven, single digit seven. Oh. Right? And apparently oh, okay. in the 80s, this number was something like about 150 or 200 a month. Mm -hmm. Right? So people suddenly got scared. Now I'm just saying one step further, every WhatsApp account every Twitter account and every Facebook account needs to have some identity authentication, right? So if I identify, so therefore I'm known that I'm a hate speech spreader, I'm a XYZ politician, at least now it's identified to me. 
but there are a lot of the lot of the amplification happens from third party random so the so called troll armies belong to a bunch of faceless anonymous people and anonymity gives people the right to in a manner the right exactly. to exactly ஒரு remove the cloak of anonymity and make examples absolutely make examples you know if if you find that there's somebody who's caused irreparable harm okay see forget about the fact that the courts are going to take a long time okay that's a reality but at least charge him charge him file a charge sheet file an fir get an arrest warrant let him go get a bail i mean since the courts are burdened it's going to be equally difficult for him to get a bail also yeah. okay so i'm saying instead of going after you know harmless comedians assuming that they were going to say something like this faruqi uh, uh, okay go after guys who actually said something absolutely okay who have committed a crime correct don't imagine a crime okay but this will only happen and this is where the politicians role comes in yeah. the politician will have to either step back and give the control to the administration okay most of the bureaucrats that i have spoken to most of the cops i have spoken to they they are saying they make all the right noises mm-hmm. but the problem is that they say look i mean how much can we do that's true right that's and true. the administration if, yeah in, and you know like i said if you can arrest a girl or two girls for putting out a post on facebook and keep yeah. them inside the jail and it took a law student to file a supreme court case and get that 66a repealed yes okay yes it it was a law student who did that right yeah yeah yes. i'm i'm saying it is easily possible for us to put the entire weight of law enforcement yes make examples okay it is it going to stop it will not stop but at least you know one category of people will start thinking that that I, middle class you know they will they will get scared I, so i think we are all uh, you know in some way connected to the media including lloyd also and lloyd bhatrathin and sumni fora i think we all have gone through these issues at some point in time we have uh, you know uh, laid uh, thread by kind of uh, many of these issues uh, we know uh, the solutions it's not that the government don't know the solution but as you said these are like business concerns these are going to be the pulls and pushes but we have to keep on pushing they have to keep on pulling so let's uh, for now Uh, uh, uh i like to rest that topic for uh, i just want to make one point to lloyd lloyd you mentioned facebook whatsapp twitter in all this controversy the government of google has got away <laughs> oh yes absolutely absolutely i i, I don't think you yeah. want to think that it's just that the uh, <laughs> the more but you're yeah, right yeah correct you're also it's a reflection of the age of the three of us i can tell you it was a younger batch insta instagram is another instagram instagram the elephant yeah, in the room yeah. that we all older folks ignore yeah but 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 right. that trio is all the facebook guys na trio right. is the facebook guys all all said that they are so yes yes, I mean, yes. and then of course luckily the tick talks and all out for now at least for now so there's le- yeah. there's less chaos there of course uh, i i think we have coup <laughs> the K-O-O. we have oh, we have 
coo and this is going to be a coo because <laughs> nobody knows what coo is going to do <laughs> okay and the but problem I, I with coo is coo and a lot of these in the sense they're kind of passing kind of motion yeah, 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 yeah. them to prove a point and before you know it they forgotten it's like when tiktok uh, went off there was a whole bunch of people who came in a lot of them are kind of struggling now there are about 7 or 8 and i think it's everyone's you know initial nationalistic urge and then it goes it's like you know i was told i know a mobile phone seller said like for a fortnight after the ban the big uh, the uh, oppos uh, the one pluses the xiaomis we had a bit of a dip now it's exactly what the market shares were in the middle of uh, 2020 so things really haven't changed for that brief moment in time so lloyd if you remember i don't know i mean uh, i think lesley all of us are the same age there was there used to be a hollywood movie which came a long time back uh, in the 70s and 80s called the china syndrome oh yes It is so reminiscent now. It is the China syndrome now. <laughs> Everything that we do Absolutely. is China focused, and we say no. You know, we will not do. We will not focus on China. But everything that we do is focused on China. Yeah, and it's 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 a practical thing. I mean, if you are going to buy an electric switch today, you tell a person, okay, go and buy an anchor. Or you basically, it's a ye ten rupees me milta hai. This is about fifty rupees. What do you want to buy? The guy goes for the ten bucks. He doesn't look at it whether it's made in China. He Absolutely. knows that it's breakable. He knows that it's saying, okay, let me just get my work fixed. But anyway, I think these quick fixes will continue. But we'll have to have those uh, pulls and uh, pressures. Uh, Lloyd, coming to you. I- i wouldn't like to you know close this session without uh, picking your brain that i promised you on you have been investing in a lot of uh, companies especially deep tech companies and consumer companies and given your background with hp and with pepsico it's a very rich kind of background and of course you're also involved in media what are you looking at when you're looking at investors what, what exactly um, as an investor when you're investing in these companies uh, what are you seeing what are the kind of broad trends a couple of uh, trends that you can tell us and the kind of mistakes probably these guys are making or the good points that these guys are doing so i think two aspects that i kind of focus on desti whenever i make investment i think one is i insist and try and spend time and physical time you know wherever possible with the promoters i think to my mind 80% of a lot of investments or a large chunk 80% maybe just a number i pulled out is uh, when the when the founder chemistry doesn't work well or the founder per se has his track record is questionable so i think for me that is you know let's say one of the key areas even more than which sector it's the quality of the promoter or the founder or the guy who's you know going to build the next big thing as he, as he starts with so i think that's one the second thing i typically do is and maybe it's an old consumer background is insist on trying to understand who are his end consumers i mean every founder will tell you that you know the sun won't rise without my product but until you get a handful of consumers that to some extent echo that sentiment uh, that really means nothing so i think these are the two uh, primary kind of yardsticks i look at in terms of sectors and businesses for me clearly it's the whole scalability businesses that can scale the you know something as a service model that work uh, one area that i'm you know right now you know and possibly with a lot of my marketing background looking at is the whole area of digital fraud right my first impulse was to focus on digital marketing fraud just to give you a sense uh, in the years i spent in marketing in pepsico and motorola you know our big spend was 90% of the money went on television and print that was the big chunk and everything else was a small add on right cinema and uh, you know outdoor and radio and you know digital of course was barely existing today for most companies the first installment the first big chunk is digital 50 60% if you look at let's say the biggest media property that went in the last three months ipl the big brands were all brands created in the last 10 years the dream 11s the creds uh, you know all new new age brands now with that 
lot of companies are using digital media agencies, right? So let's say in the past, if I wanted an upmarket uh, educated clientele, I would pick an Economic Times or pick a Wall Street Journal or whatever. Today, I go to my digital media agency and they go through what is called a media buying, media exchange. And the media exchange looks at the demographic, looks at male 40 to 55, above monthly income of say 10 lakhs or whatever, and says, hey, why do I need to spend money in the Wall Street Journal or Economic Times? This guy is also a great guy on, say, English Premier League. Or worse, he possibly serves spawn at night. I can serve it to him there. Now, as a brand, that's a brand safety, brand concern. And today, as a marketer, I have no control. So my sense is digital fraud in general, not just advertising, but the extent of impersonation or the fact that brands are so perverse. In the real world, if I see uh, somebody impersonating my brand, I will have the police on his case, out of case. Mm. In the digital world, it's happening all the while. And it's happening mainstream. Big banks, uh, you know, don't turn either. So I would say some of that's just some preliminary thoughts, Leslie. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, Lloyd, it's interesting you should say that because many years ago, we were working with a brand. And uh, so this guy comes to us and says, uh, I need 50,000 followers on Facebook. And then one of my kids, uh, you know, turned around and said, I can get him 50,000 followers for 25,000 bucks from Andheri. Will he accept it? So this guy said, yeah. I said, okay, I'm getting you 50,000. Then what, what are you going to do with it? What is it that you want to do with those 50,000? I mean, you want 50,000 is a number or 50,000 appropriate is a number. There are agencies today, there are shops in today in Delhi and Bombay and Calcutta who are going to give you the likes and the followers, whatever you want, Absolutely. whatever amplification you want, they'll give you. Okay. The problem that the brands have to solve is that how much does the digital marketer know himself to be able to drive that brand towards his target market? See, the fundamentals don't change. Absolutely. Okay. Fundamentals of marketing don't change. Fundamentals of publishing don't change. All that has changed is the medium. And there, I completely agree. Digital fraud is probably going to be the next big thing. In fact, I would like to invest in a company which is, well, not doing digital fraud, but trying to figure out. Absolutely. Also, because Subo, what you're saying is real, because a lot of these new age companies, say a year or two down the line, which today have evaluations of, say, $20, $30 million or whatever, a fair amount of funding, their idea of spreading the word is getting a couple of young fresh graduates, digital marketers, and they go out and say, okay, give me views, give me likes, give me, you know, exactly. whatever. And those guys do exactly what you're saying. It's a, a large commodity market. So you get likes from Turkey or whatever is the cheapest format. I was told in the last Lok Sabha in 2019, a lot of candidates, a lot of parties had a threshold that if you want to apply for a ticket from my party, you better have 10,000 followers. So people are actually just in the market for doing this kind of stuff. But more importantly, internet age founders today actually ask their marketing guy, what are the likes, what are the views I got? have no relevance to their business but that's become the, the show off metric and uh, it's, it's full of frauds and you know i think it's a big space i totally yeah but but uh, i mean uh, i mean honestly we are, we are talking about digital frauds that's fine but we had a bigger scam out in the uh, offline media with the whole oh, prp yes. scam so we all knew about how the set of boxes were big and i think uh, both of you since you're veterans in that field and you'll attract it more closely than me you'll know that this was not an uh, it was an ongoing issue it just yes, that it came to light, you know, I mean, somebody highlighted it, so it started becoming, it was presented as a new issue. It was not true. I'm just happy that it came out. I'm just happy that yeah. it came out. See, everybody knew this elephant was there in the room. Everybody knew that this was going on. It was, but it was inconvenient for anybody to call it out. Yes. yes. Okay. It is just that we found one person who was so 
uh, you know, disliked universally. Okay, yes. in the in the in the press. Okay, I mean there was a universal dislike. I mean, absolutely across across I, political ideologies. Yeah, I mean he was he was you know that way he was very consistent. Okay, so and that he became the coat on which uh, the hanger on which you're going to hang the coat. But has it been not happening for the last ten years? We exactly. all know it was been happening. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. Yeah. yeah, but the only solution there, and my point is, Leslie, you know, I mean, we'll have to learn to live with it, is that when media has been themselves away from just advertisers' money. Now, I know the New York Times has kind of successfully done it after a long time, but as long as you're dependent on advertisers, there is an incentive for a media owner to manipulate the results. It, you know, it happens in the, in the print, IRS, uh, you know, again, not widely talked about, but all the big players have their extent of some manipulation that happens on television. So anytime the measurement is critical because your advertising money depends on it, it's likely to be manipulated. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, 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 you wrote an interesting piece, sir, Lloyd, uh, that consumer is at the heart of the digital transformation. Now, I think we clearly all believe that that is the case. But, you know, I, I find it a little, um, uh, you know, a kind of a, a self-contradictory statement because here, uh, on the one hand, when we talk about digital, most people mistake it for, you know, the deep technology, confuse it with the technology without uh, keeping an eye on the consumer. Uh, are you, uh, so when you're looking at these companies that you are investing in and the whole universe, uh, both even Subhu and all have uh, been entrepreneurs, we have all uh, seen these kind of trends. Are you seeing a kind of at least a shift in this whole uh, balancing act like okay now people are talking less about technology and saying okay what are the problems that we solve because everybody keeps on pointing out that technology has to solve business problems it's not an end in itself yes we know that but is it really happening i think the process has begun trying to base business success on real problem solutions on real insights I think that process has begun. You know, the initial surge was a lot saying that technology can do it all. I think now marrying a real problem to a solution, building it on real insight is real. What is not happening and possibly will take, you know, maybe a decade or more is, uh, you know, this, this, uh, this, you know, this kind of uh, skewed uh, valuations. The fact that a moment a person begins to solve one small solution in one sector, you assume that this can overnight magnify into a million X. And that is something that, you know, until a lot more people burn their fingers, that reality won't come. So there's a vast belief in what is the potential that this can disrupt the world. You know, for me, example, you know, a little, if I look at, let's say, what cred results were, right? Fantastic company. I think what they're solving for is powerful. The fact that a lot of credit card transactions are passing through them is powerful. But then looking at what seasoned investors believe in what they can do in two, three years, sometimes startles. Because everyone expects them to have a, you know, an Amazon kind of uh, hockey stick. And I think that is something that has to wait and watch, specifically in a financial sector where sooner than later, you're going to expect to compete in a global market. It's not going to be an India credit card only scenario. So I think that aspect of a lot of investors' bets is a little running. So it's the same set of speculators that at one time were active in the market. You kind of find this, you know, the startup ecosystem in a sense, uh, you know, a thousand X far more rewarding than a market, which is more in the 10 X range. And that speculation shift has kind of happened. And that is a bit of a concern in the startup ecosystem. Subhu, so, your thoughts? Yeah, so I think, I think it is the romanticism of a Facebook valuation in, you know, those kind of uh, stories, which really, you know, spur the imagination of most of the entrepreneurs. Uh, having said that, I think the 
the VCs are right today that the, the current crop of VCs that I see are a lot more you know hardened souls. You know they probably know that technology for the heck of it is not going to uh, cut it. But see, the, you they, you do have some outliers. Okay, you do have some outliers which suddenly come up. You know and uh, become they, they they become the talk of the town and then somebody you know, decides to put 100 billion 100 million dollars in it and then the spreadsheet effect takes over okay and the spreadsheet so when we talk about valuation it is essentially the spreadsheet effect okay oh. because nobody is to even if the company is valued at you know about three billion dollars or five billion dollars it's meaningless because nobody's going to cut a check of five billion dollars yeah right I think I think this trend is not going to go away. Today, I mean, there will always be the romanticism of the valuation. There will always be somebody who will say, "Okay, okay let me chase a thousand x, okay, and let me not, you know, play safe and work in the play in the debt market." So there will be these kind of guys. But I think, by and large, see, there's one shift that has happened already, which is that people no longer fund powerpoints. Okay. They don't even front front prototypes. Yeah. Like I like what uh, Lloyd said that you know if you are saying that you know my customers believe that you know Sun Moon rise without my product, show me a few customers. Now that is an important statement to hear, which means as a VC as an investor, he's saying I believe you, but I want to believe in your product. Right? Which means you have to have a product, yeah. even if it is version one. That doesn't matter. Yeah, you have to have a product. So PowerPoint days are over, prototype days are over. Now the product has to be there. You have to demonstrate. Okay. Now after that, can you, you know, can you wish away the romanticism? No, I don't think so. No, but the younger, even the even on the even on the romanticism, I think one point that you also have uh, pointed out earlier, and many others also have pointed out that many of these buyouts that have happened, mm -hmm. the acquisitions that have happened, they're Basically, it's cash and stock options. Too. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's like see, the, people get carried away by the end number. And they don't realize no, no, Facebook, it. Uh, Facebook is a very classic example. $19 billion yeah. that they paid for WhatsApp. WhatsApp. It's $4 billion cash. $15 billion swap. Okay, so the cash component is for that. And that's why I said the spreadsheet takes over. Okay. And then you say that, okay, it's a $19 billion deal. Well, it is a $19 billion deal. Nobody's questioning it. It's a $4 billion cash deal. They have to be clear. I think it's because that romanticism part of it can, you know, be stemmed if people really understand the difference. I think they need to uh, spend some time understanding. There I, would put the, I would put the charge completely at the doorstep of the journalists. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is true. No, I mean. journalist, no journalist ever pointed that out. You know, we had to read the fine print and figure it out. See, a lot of these stories get, you know, get uh, created and spread by our own brothers and sisters. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. And 80% of them don't even understand what they're saying. Yeah. Which is what I call lazy journalism. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, when somebody says, you know, it, this company is now worth $100 billion. I mean, okay, it's $100 billion on what basis? Absolutely. Okay. I think that those are questions that the editor must ask. And these stories are primarily coming from uh, journalists only. Sure. Sure. 
Sure. And they get picked up by WhatsAppers and it gets spread around. But the, the, the origin is the journalist. But an interesting trend aligned to what, uh, what you've been <clears throat> saying, Subhu, and is interesting is that in a sense, the early stage money pickings today have become relatively easier. Just to give you a small example, an angel network I'm part of. You know, they talked about this interesting phenomena saying in Bangalore in the 90s, the first set of dollar millionaires were the Infosys dollar millionaires, people who made money when Infosys went public. The last set of dollar millionaires in Bangalore particularly were a lot of kids in their 20s and 30s who cashed out when Walmart physically bought uh, Flipkart. Flipkart. Now, these are kids and just I'm losing a loose metaphor here in their late 20s, early 30s, who in a sense overnight got, let's say, five to seven crores in their bank. Now, they're unlikely, unlike the Infosys dollar millionaires of the 90s, to go back and open a fixed deposit. In fact, they're yeah. unlikely to even look at a mutual fund. Right? Yes, yeah, saying that, okay, I've got now three crores to play. Right? So I'm going to put 10 lakhs in every. Now, I was part of an angel network that I obviously won't name, name where the average retired CXO, etc., was thinking innumerable times before making a 5 lakh or a ticket 10 lakh investment. You know, two months, two due diligence calls, meeting promoters, folks like me. And these kids were signing in a half-hour pitch. They were saying, okay, 5 lakh dal diya. You know, and that was startling. Now, what happens is they are bridging the gap between these, you know, the loose PowerPoint, as you said, and somebody now getting onto a trajectory saying, okay, now I can hit that 50 crore revenue. And that's when the big, uh, you know, the sequoias of the world can jump in. So that ecosystem, to my mind, is, you know, the pipeline is thick. It's robust, but it's not heavy on due diligence, right? For a young person, it, don't think twice, right? You know, I made three crores out of a well-cashed deal. <laughs> easy money. Money. easy money. And they're willing to invest. So that is fueling, in a sense, good way. It's fueling entrepreneurship, uh, but it's also not well thought through. And maybe I'm just speaking from a perspective of an older person, but that's the big, uh, the other, the fresh elephant in the room. And that's something VCs have, you know, yet to come to terms with. But you know, the, the, Lloyd, the interesting thing is, for everything that happens, there are, you know, elements of, that are good, elements that are bad. Mm-hmm. When I said PowerPoint is not getting funded, I realize the fact that 99% of the PowerPoints may not have been worth funding, but there will always be that one person PowerPoint, okay, the entrepreneur who's got this great idea, okay, and he's got this great concept, he's got everything in his head, which can, which is fundable. Yes. Now, yes. when you stop funding PowerPoints, you stop funding that also. Yes. Now, these kids, the, the latter day uh, millionaires who are coming, are maybe, perhaps, helping fund those outliers, that, that yeah. 1%. Yes. They may be understanding it better. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, yes. I think to that extent, it's, 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 it's a good risk that they are taking. Yes. Like any other risk reward system, yes, they will, they will be a 90-10, 95-5, you know, uh, win-loss, a loss-win ratio. Sure. And they're willing to live with it because they're, like, like you said, three crores is the, is the money to play with. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and Absolutely. I don't know, like, I mean, I always, we always say that, you know, uh, given our age group, I don't know how many of us would have, like, say, uh, invested in an Instagram initially. Yeah. I mean, we'd have not even thought, and probably probably not even bought into the idea kind of stuff. They want people putting photographs over there, plenty of things. Let's say younger people coming into the startup ecosystem as investors is A, a positive thing. I'm totally for it. Very positive. Their risk appetite is larger and their fear of failure is much less. So yes, a lot of the, exactly. Promo- lot, of, lot of the early stage promoters I work with, you know, their issues, I can switch back from my so-called Beamer back to my bike. 
right with yeah. no loss yeah. of face yeah. right which are older promoter obviously has got she's got family and has got too many too many kind of pillars to kind of bow to they're pretty much they're more nimble in that way right completely concede that that's a very positive step i should so give they, you an anecdote uh, so i was interviewing this kid uh, you know a couple of months back and this was a you know the the zoom interview so uh, very very full of beans and that's great and he said that you know i just uh, my my business didn't do well so i'm just shutting it down because of covid i'm looking for an out uh, job so i asked him i said you know so what is it what what's what's about you okay he was so proud he his chest puffed he said i'm a serial failure you know very that pride okay uh-huh. in my time if i were a failure i probably wouldn't have got married <laughs> okay i mean it's only after marriage my wife figured that i'm a failure so to that extent i was lucky you know but these day these guys carry it on the on, on, on their arm i mean they they actually believe that it's a good thing yes and that's a very very healthy trait. so so what would be the, what would be the expression now earlier used to say he has a chip on his shoulder what would you say he's carrying on the shoulder <laughs> <laughs> so viewers uh, uh, i hope you enjoyed this discussion uh, we had uh, uh, a discussion on these uh, four topics one of course the who let the dogs out uh, the dog coin issue then the safer internet day where we segwayed into the whole uh, social media responsibility versus uh, governments and um, uh, then of course uh, we picked uh, loyal plane on the whole startup uh, uh, community the investor how uh, vcs uh, look at uh, uh, companies and the more interesting part is i think uh, the consistent messaging that is here that we require young people especially our young viewers who are watching us uh, we require you very much uh, to create a next uh, instagram or the next tiktok or whatever it be on or, or fail creating it or fail creating yes yes that's it and please look at the atmanirbhar campaigns of india and try to create something in india which is not a closed loop kind of thing but which gives you the power of the internet kind of which is cool so and not just cool <laughs> absolutely uh, lawyer once again uh, thank you very much for your time and for your uh, insights subu thank you as usual thanks a lot thank you thank, thank you, you very lawyer. much lastly wonderful yeah. being here thank, thank you. you subu wonderful thank wonderful you. chatting yeah thank you thank you bye